Can you imagine a world immune to all forms of cancer? Ladies and gentlemen, the time has come for our fourth annual live stream for the cure. And this year, we need your help more than ever. Please join us May 27th through May 31st for 48 hours of live content from guests and podcasts around the world. We'll be aiming for our most ambitious goal to date as we try to raise $10,000 for the Cancer Research Institute. Please visit www.livestreamforthecure.com for more information on this year's event and how you can be a part of it. Together, we can make a difference. Okay, here we go. Welcome, everybody. It is time yet again for another fun-filled, whacktacular episode of the Something Something James Hatton. Poor, sorry, hang on. Podcast Rob, sorry. <laughs> what? I, like, Jim. literally cracked open my sushi when we sat down to record, so. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> it's an interactive show with the audience. You get to feel like yes. you're having dinner with us. Oh, everybody's going to love listening to you eat fish during the show. Hey, it could be worse. could have been pork rinds. Oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Broken glass. Uh, one of the one of the radio programs I used to listen to, it was on, it was like, you know, one of those drive time, six in the morning shows. Sure, sure. And they regularly talked about their yogurt, but like you could tell the minute their, uh, their intern came in with the yogurt because you'd hear just a... With the spoons and there was no way you could ignore it. Yogurt has that definitive sound when it's yes. involved in a conversation. It's at home. Yeah. And that's what this episode's about, everybody. Breakfast noises. <laughs> <laughs> no, so James came up with this topic years ago. This is an old one. Two logos ago, I think. <laughs> That's how Three long studios ago, ago. Yeah, exactly. Three studios and ex-wife and two logos yeah. ago. Hatton came up with this topic. I was thinking it, but I wasn't going to say it. Thank you no, for saying fine. it. I got your back. That's, yep. Um, but this is one of my old sort of comedy routine topics that that I used to when I did a. You know, I do sets for burlesque and stuff. I had a whole bit, like a five-minute bit, about the many jobs of Tom Cruise. Yep. Um, and so it's a, it's sort of a perfect list topic, something light and fuzzy for for an episode where people are just like, I don't know, trying to find something to watch. Guess what? You could you could pull up a chair and watch movies where Tom Cruise does things better than all of us do anything. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> for his, the first, I don't know. Let me see. I got up the IMDb here. The first what? He's his first movie was in 1981, and I'm gonna say up until like 2004 or five ish, 80 percent of his jobs are Tom Cruise has a job. 
couple of them are like, eh, he's a vampire, which is kind of a job. But um, they're all like, hey, he's the best fry cook in the world, and he's going to fight in the fry cook championship. He's, right. the, he's a lawyer or an agent or... Yeah. Dog walker or... Yeah, yeah. Chocolate chef. I don't Bartender. know. Bartender. Yeah. So you're ice listing scul- the real ones. Ice sculpture carver. There you go. <laughs> Anus expander. I got nothing. Whoa. What? It's like, it's like a, the pup, penis, puppetry of the penis. What? Sign a kind of dope. Pass him a tassy. Pass him a tassy. Never. That's become the new sucker punk gag. Oh, it really has. Never pass up a moment to put in the song from fucking the Passamaquoddy song from Peach Dragon. Which I got us. There's there's one person right now who is in tears. Like, oh, I thought I was the only one other that did the Passamatassi. Passamacassi. Nope. Everybody else is like, are they having a stroke? How did they no. upload this? Didn't we? Do, we've done that in the chat in each one of our Netflix watch parties yeah. so far. I think something's come up, or we're just like, some sassy. That is a good thing to mention before we get started. We've been doing a lot of like, you know, we're stuck at home too sort of stuff. That includes uh, streaming Minecraft as well as doing Netflix parties. Please follow along on the Facebook uh, to find out when and where we're we're hanging out and doing stuff. It's basically like a little episode with even less editing. <laughs> is that even possible? It, it, there, it is possible. <laughs> because this show, some episodes, has some editing. Some yeah. episodes. Well, sometimes it's, it's a necessity. Sometimes but, uh, it's half the goddamn. Yeah, follow us on the on the Twitter, uh, at STSTCast. Follow us on the Facebook, facebook.com slash something somethingcast. Uh, we... We have been doing a lot of Netflix watch parties. We've been doing kind of like one a week. They're mostly in the afternoon, I will be honest, because yeah. either working from home or we're off. Um, but, I mean, don't expect us to like, hey, we're going to watch Citizen Kane together. No, these are like like popcorn devouring horrible movies. Uh, we've done National Treasure. We've done Ghost Rider. And we've done uh, 1998- Oh, we did Mortal Kombat. And we did uh, the Sony Godzilla. Was our most recent one, the Matthew Broderick vehicle, oh. um, and they're a good time. People come in. We have the chat room going on. It, it, it's a lot of fun to interact with people who listen, fans of the show, friends of ours, kind of thing. So definitely follow us on one of those two vehicles or both, uh, so you will know the next time we are doing our uh, Netflix watch party thingamahooser. Yeah, my um, thought was to mention this stuff at the beginning of the episode because I'm sure there's at least a couple people who like up oh, they're they're doing their hey you can find us at and they, they hit pause or next track so now yeah. we got you bitches yeah next time we'll just throw it right in the middle <laughs> my next one is have you gone to st st cast exactly on Twitter so this episode is the many many jobs. Of Tom yes. Cruise, the many lives of Dobie Gillis. We've each come up with, uh, and we've tried to pare it down. We've each come up with our top three favorite Tom Cruise job movies. Yes. Um, I, I, I have a feeling even with three, we probably have some like crossover just because there's, I think there's a couple that are the, when you think Tom Cruise has a job, you think these movies. 
Well, I but, think um, even, I think there's some when you think Tom Cruise, like you immediately. That's true. So, so why, why do you, you start, start us off? No, you start ah! us off. It was your topic. <laughs> you came up with it. Right. You start us off. Then I will start with one of my favorite guilty pleasure movies. Um, It is one of the quintessential Tom Cruise has a job movies. Uh, I've watched it, gotta say, probably a dozen times. It does have a riff tracks, so that sort of rebirths some life into it. Um, The more I've watched it, the more I've learned it makes no goddamn sense as a film. Because the the whole heart premise of the movie, which is Tom Cruise has a job, has nothing to do with the baseline plot of the film. It would be like if I was to make a movie about you and I as, uh, I don't know, warehouse employees. And the whole thing is about we're doing warehouse employing and we're big in warehouse employing. The movie's called Warehouse Employee. And the whole movie is about a will that my uncle gave me like that, that I wanted to, I had to get cross country to be there for his will. Like what? I thought this was about warehouse employees. This is Tom Cruise as the world's best bartender. It's called cocktails and dreams. Cocktails. My first one where Tom Cruise starts off as uh an entrepreneur who was trying to make good, can't find shit in the way of like figuring out big business, so he ends up as a bartender. Turns out to be very, very good at that uh, with the help of a very famous actor in um, Brian... Oh, it's not famous actor. Why do I always think it's a famous actor? I get Brian Brown and... Uh, shit. Who played Alfred in the most recent Batmans? Oh, yeah, yeah. Famous no, I mean, guy. Brian, Brian Brown still fairly famous he was he was in yes. the fx movies like back in the early 80s and they were fantastic oh i love those movies yeah yeah but um i get him confused with that the famous british guy <laughs> right, right uh whose name eludes me michael anyway Caine. michael yes michael Caine. thank yes, you michael Caine. um so Some he ends up getting caught up to watch the world burn and Sorry. it's about him and and not michael Caine's. Right. fight about women and and they end up having a huge fight over fucking some wrong wench and they next the movie jumps to a tropical island where he's still a bartender and now the movie really starts because it's all about elizabeth shoe's money yes and that's i gotta tell you that was the main reason i watched this movie <laughs> uh, elizabeth shoe's money well elizabeth shoe back in yes, the I'm with I you. Had a unhealthy obsession with elizabeth shoe back in the 80s hells yes you did yes because we but, all uh, did is what i'm saying yeah and let's let's be correct. Uh, he brought, Tom Cruise playing the part of Brian Flanagan is not just a bartender. He's a flair bartender. Yes, because there is a difference. Bartender is just your regular, you know, drink slinger, pour it in a glass. Here you go. Flair bartender is doing the flippity flop behind the back with the bottles and the somersaults and the blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. Um, which was actually kind of cool to watch. Most definitely, like that was the the flair of the of the movie was that, and if I remember correctly, now this movie came out, I was a little too young, but I remember distinctly that like this set up a trend. You oh, know, absolutely! It was a thing like before. bartenders were doing this all throughout, like New York and Chicago and stuff like that. It became a thing. So it, I'm sure it started somewhere, you know, on the 
in the cool hip bars in New York at the time, some writer director came in and said, holy shit, I could write a whole movie about this. Why don't we wedge it into that one about Elizabeth Shue's money? Well, there's, uh, and Gina Gershon, FYI, also rare. <laughs> Haywood Gould, who did screenplays for, uh, boys from Brazil, for Apache, the Bronx, uh, it, the movie is based on a semi-autobiographical novel that was published in 84 about Gould. He had worked as a oh, bartender really? from 69 to 81. Um, I don't necessarily know that he was a flair bartender, but that was becoming a thing at the time. Okay. I didn't realize that the movie was... Uh, I knew it had had some nominations and things like nominate was nominated for golden globe. Um, let me see. Oh, the music. That was why. Cause it uh, made Kokomo yeah. really popular. So, so here's a quote from uh, Haywood Gould. I was not happy with the final product. He said it got so savaged by the critics that I was accused of betraying my own work. Well, it did win the Razzie. It is a, I mean, it is a Razzie award winning, uh, and the screenplay too. Yeah. It wasn't, it was campy. It wasn't, you know, it didn't sit there and make you go, huh? <laughs> but what do you, do? I don't, it didn't Flare make bartender. me go Ugh, either. Yeah. Flare bartending. Flare bartender. Elizabeth Shue. Yep. All right. So my first one, uh, this is from uh, 2002, a uh, Spielberg-directed movie. Okay. Uh, and although the movie came out in 2002, the film takes place way in the future, although maybe not so much more in the future than where we are now. Uh, merely 34 years in the future will Tom Cruise play uh, a pre-crime agent uh, Chief John Anderton in Minority Report. Ah, indeed, sir. It was just, it was a really cool concept. And the, the storyline I found very good. Uh, and even like the, the special effects and the CGI stuff, this was really one of the, I'm not going to say the first, but it was probably one of the more prominent movies that started doing this whole kind of virtual heads up display thing mm -hmm. and doing it's, it really well. You know, it is just like brushing aside pictures, take that one, stretch it, make it bigger. I mean, now, like, we literally can do that stuff, you know, for the most part on tablets yeah. and coffee tables and shit like that. Um <laughs> But yeah, that Iron Man throws up the computer in front of him thing. It's probably, I'm not going to say it's the first movie I ever saw do it, but it was probably the first AAA big budget film that I recall doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and it had Max von Sydow in it too, so you can never go wrong with that, right? That's true. And this movie started, like, interesting enough, this movie started a trend, of not a trend so much as, like, it opened a discussion about... Oh, sure pre you know pre calling crime before would we do it is that is it unethical the actual ethicality of the movie itself sure what i don't think i've seen the whole way through i th i don't think i've ever actually seen the movie from beginnings to ends uh it kind of so i mean just to go into 
a little bit more of what you're talking about. It kind yeah, of hit it. this came out in 2002. I'm trying to think if there was. I don't recall specifically if anything had happened. Like uh, socially speaking. Yeah, that, that that really kind of this struck a chord with, but it was a. Uh, the the movie is basically uh, a debate about free will versus determinism. So is it you know do we have choice or is everything preset uh, predestined? Um, but it does feel very. This almost would have been at home in say like a nine eleven kind of world. Oh, yeah, I see what you're saying. You know what I mean? Where, you know, it's... Because it very much is not just, hey, this guy's going to rape somebody. Hey, this guy's going to murder somebody. Hey, this guy's going to, you know, do something Mm terrorist-like. It is very... We know this guy is predicted to possibly, out of a percentage chance that we feel comfortable doing so. Yeah, exactly. There was... uh, I was a big fan back in the day of the Wing Commander uh, video game franchise, yes, and one one of the uh, one of the installments was called "What Price Freedom," uh, and it was basically like, what lengths are we willing to go to to protect the freedoms that we have? Do we start going so far as that we're actually eliminating freedoms to protect other freedoms, kind of thing? And this mm-hmm. kind of really tapped into that same kind of vein. Like, how far are we willing to go? And to be fair, it's based on a story by Philip Dick, Philip K. Dick, Mm -hmm. who is one of the granddaddies of modern science fiction, Blade Runner, Scanner Darkly, Total Recall. Like, he goes in the name, in the Mount Rushmore of these guys wrote most of the stuff that we love as, like, sci-fi nerds. Right, right. um, With, like, Heinlein and, and Ellison and things. So... The fact that it takes this very interesting, unique premise on crime, um, the fact that it came from Philip K. Dick, who gave us Blade Runner, you can see the the connective tissue between those two stories. Yep. Excellent. No, here's a good. Uh, here's a good question: Is right. it? Does it hold up? Is it worth seeing now? I know it's. You might not have seen it recently, but. I haven't seen it recently, but I would have to see that it prob. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna super say, intrigued. I'm going to say yes, just on the premise of the free will versus predeterminism mm-hmm. is still like a debate. Right. You know what I 100%. Mean? I think the effects uh, will probably be not too shabby. It's Spielberg, uh, I mean, so yeah, I'm sure things have still gotten better, but uh, but it's hard to say. I think yeah. if not, all right, if not holding up as, if not holding up as standing the test of time and being something that you can, uh, like a movie, I'll say out of time that you can kind of put in any era and watch at any time and it still has validity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it may stand as a quote-unquote period piece sure that this is this is the future that the early 2000s envisioned if that makes sense as a period piece uh because i'm sure our vision of the future you know being 2020 is now far different than our vision of the future in the year 2000 was so 
I dig. And Spielberg is very good at making um, movies that, and of course he's fucking Spielberg, that visually stand the test of time. Very, even some of Spielberg's oldest movies you look at and you're like, this still holds up. Like I can see that, you know, we would, it would be crisper now, but this all still works. Yeah, I think so. Moving on to my next Tom Cruise's job. Oh, so what was his official job there? Just so we like. Make oh, he was. Uh, he his official title was Chief John Anderton. Excellent. So he was a uh, chief investigator for the pre-crime uh, department. To go back now to uh, some of the older Cruisisms, again, right in the the heart, the the breadbasket of Tom Cruise has a job. This is a movie. What year did this come out? I lost it. I have like every piece of paper up right now. I have 30,000 tabs. This came out in 1990. Uh, this movie is notable for me in that this is actually the movie that started my Nicole Kidman crush that has lasted, well, you know, ever since. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is a, a movie that takes place on the fast, high impact crazy streets of racing (laughs) really yeah nascar racing days of thunder i would not have expected this to be on your list oh yeah it is these movies and we've addressed the fact that like i spent most of my childhood in front of hbo um throughout the late 80s 90s um, and this was one of those movies that you'd turn on Saturday afternoon. I was, you know, I'd probably be 12 at the time. You turn on Saturday afternoon and it's on. So I saw most of the movie about, you know, six, seven times just because it was on. And I would leave whatever was on because I thought I was being a grown up because I was watching the movies on HBO. Um, so yeah, this, this is this cold. is one of my uh, this is one of my honorable mention movies. Yeah, I, I if there was one that was going to cross our paths, I thought this one might. Yep, Cole Trickle, young race car driver from California. Um, honestly, the only thing I remember, I can't even say I remember too too much. I remember Randy Quaid's in it. Um, I remember Nicole Kidman's in it, yep. and I remember that the major plot point was drifting. Was um not drift not drifting uh drafting. Drafting. Yes. To, yes. to the point a, there's where There's a like, lot of really good lines in it because Trickle yes. had never done NASCAR racing before. He had originally had his sights set on uh, Formula One racing for Indy 500, and he ends up driving NASCAR. So in NASCAR, there's a lot of trade and paint. There's a lot of bumper bumping, a lot of door bumping and stuff. And there's a scene where he kind of gets bumped up again. So he's like, he just hit me. And he's like... And, uh, and Robert Duvall is his, is his uh, crew chief, and he's like, he did what, son? He hit me. He didn't hit you. He rubbed you. Rubbing's <laughs> racing. And he's talking about that. Hysterical. Uh, Carrie Elvis is in this, too. He plays yes. uh, uh, the Tom Cruise's eventual big bad rival. One of his other rivals is one of his teammates, Michael Rooker. And uh, the scene where they're, in, where they're coming out of the hospital. With the wheelchairs? In the wheelchairs. That's the I first be- thing I was going to talk about. I believe that whole se- that whole thing was ad libbed. I don't think that was scripted at all. That thing where they they start trying to like race each other in the wheelchairs and they won't let right. the other guy be in front. I believe that was all ad libbed. Like none of that was in the script. 
that's fantastic because but uh, I mean they did a it was a big to do because they actually filmed at NASCAR tracks during NASCAR races either during uh like qualifying heats or they would do like five or seven laps before a race or they would actually have a bunch of cars that would be half a lap behind the actual race that was going mm-hmm. on uh, so that there wouldn't really be any interference of them. And it's like, hey, we just need to film like four laps, so we're going to be half a lap behind constantly. But so this way you get the audience in the crowd and, and the noise and everything else and the effect of them really being on a racetrack. Yeah. Um, this and I'm sure movie, it was a lot cheaper to oh, do it yeah. that way. This movie, out of all of them, has probably my favorite uh, dialogue uh, in a Tom Cruise movie, and it has to do with him and his crew chief. Uh Cole Trickle is horrible when he first gets in NASCAR. Like, he is just all over the fucking place. And Caution Flag comes out, which basically means um, nobody can change position. Everybody has to hold, you know, what position numerically you are. And everybody goes super slow until the pace car leaves and they drop the green flag again. So a lot of crews come in and pit during that because you can't lose position. Mm -hmm. Uh, So he happens to be in the pit and his crew chief goes, hey, Cole. When you get back out on the racetrack, I want you to drive past everybody under caution, and I want you to hit the pace car. (laughs) You want me to hit the pace car? I want you to hit the pace car. Why do you want me to hit the pace car? Because you've hit everything else on this goddamn track. I want you to be perfect. I lost it the first time I heard that, and every time that scene comes up, it just absolutely kills me. Ah, well, I'm, I'm glad you remember this movie better than I do because that was perfect. This this one can. Oh, it's such uh, a good. Your honorable mention. But I, I've wanted to go back and watch this one again, just again, just as an older, you know, older guy now to see whether. Because obviously, I'm not an I'm not a NASCAR guy. I don't really know much of my way of cars. But is this a movie I still enjoy, or do I just remember like just because it was, on all the time. It has very good dialogue. It has very witty dialogue. And it's very high action. And, you know, it's Rudy with cars. And I pretty much watch any Rudy derivative. I think you would... I think... It's a nostalgia film at this point, obviously. Because NASCAR is not anywhere near the same NASCAR as portrayed in this movie. Like, not even close. Sure. Um, But I think it... It holds up as a window into racing sport at that time. Because this came out in what? 1990. So yeah. 90. And young Nicole Kidman still trying to hide that Australian accent. Oh yeah. Yep, yep. Yep. To you, my friend. All right. So mine, I chose a movie. But this Good might job. not actually be the movie. Uh, <laughs> and it's hard to kind of choose a movie from the movie. Uh, Intriguing. So uh, it's probably one of his most popular and long-lasting jobs that he has had. <laughs> uh, it is uh, His job is IMF agent Ethan Hunt. Ah, uh, and it is it's I have to say the Mission Impossible films uh, in general. Uh, the first one I felt was amazing. 
just because of what it did. Uh, it was kind of an homage, but taking its own way and its own direction from the Mission Impossible TV show. Uh, and then some of them got better from there. Some of them got worse from there. The most recent ones have been really good, like Rogue Nation and Fallout. Whew. With the exception of a couple of silly scenes in Fallout, it was a really good action movie. But I think the overall movies uh, and the character uh, of Ethan Hunt uh, has been pretty damn impressive, uh, especially since uh, he does a lot of his own stunts. Yeah. Uh, in these movies, so every every year or two, there'll be some sort of sideline news thing about Tom Cruise seen over the, the seen recently over the city of Dubai. And yeah, he's, it's you like know. they almost have to go. It's like they go out of their way now to come up with some crazy mm-hmm. thing. Ever since the fucking free climbing scene that he did, is that it's the one like, on the building what? in Dubai? Well, no, the, well, it, it might've been at the end, but the free climbing scene in the beginning is when he's just climbing that huge rock formation right in the very beginning. Oh yes. I yes. think that, okay. that might've been three. The Dubai one was the one with, uh, that was more recently, right? What's his name with Hawkeye in it. Right. That oh, was Renner. the first one that he was in. Yeah. yeah Jeremy. Renner. I'm going to be honest. I, think he was I in that one. I've seen, let me see. I saw the first one. Cause I remember that was highly, highly, uh, parodied that, falling down into the the tunnel and making no sound and the sweat on his eyeglass and the oh yeah 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 uh, toast I remember yep. that very distinctly where it's they're they're listening to the sound meter and you got Ving Rhames toast yep. um but I don't think I saw any of them past two well Mission Impossible two was John Woo and that felt very John Woo right you know <clears throat> the two motorcycles charging at each other and the the flying at each other with pistols drawn right yep um mission I impossible see that one. 3 was jj abrams uh, and the other Ghost- ones weren't abrams uh, the first one was i mean they might not have been i again i don't believe the first one was the okay. first one was brian de palma oh uh, all right yeah, the second and one was abrams. john woo and then jj abrams did the third one and that makes sense because Abrams, that was where he sort of hit his sweetness, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then it's Ghost right Protocol that time. was really good. Ghost Protocol was Brad Bird. And Rogue Nation was Christopher McQuarrie. And Fallout was also Christopher McQuarrie. So <clears> do you think do you think the Mission Impossible movies, in so much as we don't have we have the MCU, which is an entire other thing. Do you think the Mission Impossible movies are are like a a hey, remember that bunch of years where there was a bunch of Mission Impossible movies? Or do you think that they have staying power beyond Tom Cruise? Like one day, Tom Cruise ain't gonna do a Mission Impossible movie. Will they hand over the mantle like a like a I don't know, 007? That's a tough call. Uh, I ask the hard questions. I'm the professional. No, it's I mean, uh, my knee jerk answer would be there's no reason why they couldn't. Right, because there's money but, on the table, clearly. Right, but I think a lot of the draw is Tom Cruise in these movies, so I don't know. And he's done a fair amount of them so far. What is he? One, two, three, four. There's five. two coming up. There's, like there's two on the IMDb as we speak. Two, four, five. There's six so far, and if he's got two more, seven, eight. 
So eight movies is more individual movies than any James Bond actor has done. There's no oh, James Bond true. actor that's done James Bond for eight films. I don't even think Connery did it, and he came back after uh, after the the one guy did. Um, so at that point, it might you might run into difficulty replacing him as Ethan mm-hmm. Hunt, or do you do what I was afraid they were going to do with the matrix, which was, you know, in a different part of the matrix, a different team. Do you just have a whole different IMF team? Sure. That, you know, maybe you keep Ving Rhames and, uh, you know, a couple of people here and there. Um, but I don't know. That's hard to say. And just to, just to put it in perspective on these movies, mission impossible, the first one, uh, worldwide gross 457 million. That's the first one. The most but that's recent, 450, that's 457, 1996 million dollars. 100% true. <clears throat> yeah. Um, because then we jump up to the most recent of Fallout, which was 791 million. But what so was the budget is, on that? Uh, 178. And yeah, the budget the, on the 1996 one was 80 million. If that's 1990, you know, <laughs> 8 million. Right, but still, I'm saying the, yeah. the budget for the most recent one was just under half the box office of the right. first one. <laughs> so, yeah, Tom Jesus. Cruise commands a lot more zeros now, you know, no doubt for doing these movies, but still. And half of those zeros went straight to Xenu. Wow. Just saying. <laughs> All right. What do you got there, Mon Frere? All right. I'm, this is my favorite Tom Cruise has a job movie. Um. It is probably the movie that inspired this thought process after I had seen it a gazillion times. Because I love myself some grifting. I love myself some rise it from the, from the bottoms to the tops. Um, and there is no better hustler than a movie feature in The Hustler. It is The Color of Money, um, where he plays Vince who is the, the cocky young upstart who is also like a pool hustler. He goes around, he's playing pool games, trying to save up money to, to get into the big tournaments. And they're trying to like low run the streets because once his name's out there, like the bidding and betting on him will be completely fucked. They won't be able to make enough money. Only just realized, I knew that Paul Newman um, playing as his, his boss, his uh, teacher, uh, I knew he was playing Fast Eddie from the Hustler movies. I didn't realize that this movie is considered a direct sequel in so much as the book is. This, uh, the book, The Color of Money, is a direct sequel to the book, The Hustler. Mm-hmm. So he goes from pool table to pool table, sort of lowballing and hustling people out of money. He plays like the derpy, overly cocksure kid that everybody thinks like they want to kick his ass. Um, and it all goes all the way to the tournament. There's, you know, some twists and turns between him and Paul Newman. It, it is a great movie top to bottom. Um, probably the first movie I ever saw Forrest Whitaker in. Cause he plays the hustler that out hustles Vince, Tom Cruise. Right. John Tutoro's in it. Um, Mary Elizabeth Mastri Antonio plays the the love interest. Like it's it's just a badass movie. And I think this one holds up top to bottom. Yeah, I can't 
I can't argue with it at all. It's... <clears throat> he's walking around in the beginning. He's walking around. The, I can't remember what his shirt says. I can't remember if his shirt says Vince on it. Or like employee. He's got a black shirt with white letter and... He's like, oh, this is what I'm going to wear because it makes me look like an asshole. And they're like, stop it. You're being obvious. And he's, when he gets into it, he starts playing. Like, he's dancing around the table singing Werewolves of London. He just plays such a wonderful, like, dick. Yeah. There's no well, point in the movie where he is the good guy. <laughs> no. Part of his, part of his hustle shtick was, I'm not only better than you, but I'm also very fucking annoying, which is yes. going to make it harder for you to try to stay focused, to try to be better than me, which you're not anyway, was kind of his whole fucking thing. Which I find interesting because I, I like the movie so much, but the more you think about it, the more you realize that, you know, it's a villain's movie. And he's not so much a villain as he is. He's the character he's playing. He's just sort of a dick. He's smart. Um, yeah. The, you almost... But at the same time, I don't know whether Paul Newman's character is really the hero in this either. He's probably more beloved because he's Fast Eddie. Hmm. I think I'd have to rewatch it to sit and like, who is the protagonist in this? Because I think everybody in it's just a little bit wrong. But I think that's kind of... It's a hustle game, so it makes sense. That's kind of the thing. Yeah, everybody's kind of... It's like Breaking Bad. Everybody's, you know, everybody's effectively a douche in this movie. It's just, you know, how 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 high up in the douche meter are you? Right. The doucheometer, if you will. Yeah, there you go. Um, looking at this wasn't the one that like really broke him out. This came out right after uh, the movie that I think either one of us will mention before this episode's over. You made this was correct. his second biggest hit, I'd say. Uh, I'm gonna say fourth. Nope. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I was moving to third, but yeah. Yeah, okay. well, maybe fourth. Because right. I think You're, I think risky business is really what kind of put him on the map. Yeah, one hundred percent. And then for possibly a different group of people, I don't know if it's this, the Venn diagram is not a dot. For, uh, for, but then you've got Legend is going to be right, another well, big one. So that's yeah. I me. I wasn't putting Legend in my like third out of um, right. just because it is such a, a niche thing. Like there's there's people who worship that movie because it's a really yeah, yeah. great fantasy movie. But not everybody likes Tangerine Dream music. Sure. <clears throat> I'm with you. So that's Color Money. Pool yep. Hustler Tom Cruise. What do you got? So uh, this one is probably not his most popular movie by a long shot. Hmm. Uh, I'm going to guess many people may not have actually even heard of it. Uh, no. 19, uh, 1986's Top Gun. Totally. Ah. Uh, a little <clears throat> film known as Top yes. Gun. <laughs> yes. Top Gun as a uh, Navy fighter pilot. Um, it is his first job. It's his first it, real job. Is no, it his I mean, first? no. He had other movies. I don't know what his. I, yeah, I can't I mean, it speak. Been. I can't speak to what he what his job was in any of these other movies because I, I don't think I've seen any of them except Risky Business. I don't know what he did in All the Right Moves, so I don't know. But well, All the Right uh, Moves, he was in college, I think. So yeah, I really classify as a job. You know, taps. Risky I, business. He was in. He was a teen. Yeah, this might be an actual. I mean, if he was like in his early twenties, first job. Yeah, good call. Yeah, he was a teenager in most of these other things. Outsiders, definitely a kid. Yeah. So I mean, everybody knows Top Gun. You yeah, know, of it's course. A movie that really needs no introduction. Uh, 
uh, Lieutenant uh, Pete Maverick Mitchell. The sequel coming out, what is it, like later this year, next year, something like that? I'm going to be dead uh, honest. I had thought it came out already, and I was just, and I, no, I literally was called, like, how is the sequel? It's literally called Maverick. Uh, December 23rd, 2020 is. is when it's come out. Uh, and apparently, there's a fair number of people from the original movie that are in it. It ain't called uh, Goose. Jennifer Connelly is in it. Uh, Ed Harris is in it. Val Kilmer is in it, playing Iceman again. Uh, there's, yeah, there's a fair amount of people from the original movie in it. They will flash over. They're going to flash over to a small, like, jelly smear on the side of a mountain. Goose is in it. <laughs> Negative Ghost Rider pattern is full. <laughs> um, such a great movie, though. Such an, oh, uh, yes. This is a very iconic movie. Um, I, I don't know what else, what, what else I can say about it that wouldn't just make this become an episode in and of itself. So... 15 million budget, 356 million box office draw for 1986. Yeah. This movie was a, it, it was a monster hit. Like this put him on the map. Yeah. If you, if you knew, if you knew Tom Cruise from like risky business before, it's like going, Oh, I know Tom Cruise. Cause you uh, rather Tom Hanks. Cause you saw episodes of bosom buddies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, compared to Top Gun, where he just like, oh, now you're famous. Okay. Yeah, but uh, it made three hundred and fifty-six million, mm-hmm. and that's as as we said earlier, that's in eighty-six bucks. Yeah, <clears throat> eighty-six here's, bucks will go a long way these here's days. Here's a fun fact: Matthew Modine turned down the role of Maverick. Because he felt the film's pro-military stance went against his personal politics. I'm sure he's really happy with his politics. Oh, yeah. Not kicking himself about any of that at all. (laughs) Nope. Uh, This movie's gained, like, a certain amount of of weird pop culture elements. As like, I think it was only not too long ago, less than 10 years ago, that, that out of nowhere, everybody started talking about the volleyball scene. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't know what it was, but the, the volleyball scene from Top Gun became super pop culture relevant in in just how sort of homoerotic it is. <laughs> um, there's a sequence in Future Man, which if you haven't seen, highly recommended. You can see it on Hulu, uh, where they redo that scene, the, the whole volleyball scene, scene for scene. Because nice. it happened, even it even is playing like um, hanging out with the boys in the background. But yeah, Top Gun. It's such a great movie. I mean, and he did ha- he, half of Top Gun, or I should say, uh, hot uh, the movie Hot Shots was like three quarters. Of that movie was parodying Top Gun. One hundred percent. Fan. Fantastic! I'm glad you mentioned it because it was otherwise it would have been my and my honorable mentions. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have one honorable mention that we that we didn't discuss, but was yes. actually mentioned. Uh, and this was also uh, a, I don't think we ever did this as a topic, but I think we had had discussions about movies that like just could never get rebooted <laughs> or remade at all. Um, I'm sure we have. Go ahead. Yeah, and this is this is Taps. This is from 1981. Oh, uh, okay. This if you have never seen this movie, 
this is a disturbing fucking movie. Like, oh my god, disturbing fucking movie. Uh, the overall theme of it is uh, George C. Scott runs a military academy. Mm-hmm. And the students, the cadets, are very loyal to George C. Scott's character, uh, Brigadier General Harlan Bach. So uh, funding starts to go down, and they decide they have to close the school. And uh, the cadets are like, uh, well, no. Well, no, we can't. We can't let that happen. So the cadets basically take over the school. Ah, okay. And, like, the parents come to, you know, try to take their kids out, and the cadets, like, lock the gates all around the school. And then it's like, okay, look, we've had enough of this. We're going to, you know, we're going to get the police. We're going to get the military police. And we're going to have you guys. And then the kids are like, well, we have all the arms and the and the bullets and stuff in here. So then they start holding off, like, the military police. Then really? the military gets involved and, like, tanks start rolling up. And, yeah. Sounds like a toy soldiers it's, sort of. But it's, but it's, yeah. Darker. It's, it's way darker than that. Because Tom Cruise is, like, super young in this movie. And, like, there's a scene towards the end where the tanks breach the gates and two of his classmates have been killed in gunfire. And a lot of the other students, like Timothy Hutton and Sean Penn, who are equally as young in this, are like, dude, it's over. We got to give up. And there's like an 11 year old Tom Cruise with a fucking M1 Nagant, you know, Mosin Nagant pointing out the window, like firing at soldiers, like, they're not taking this school. Like, you're like, holy fuck, dude, what? Really? Oh, yeah. This movie could not be remade or rebooted or redone ever at all. Like, <laughs> I just I just can't ever see a society that would be okay watching a movie like this, especially yeah, in yeah. this way. Like, there would be so much that would have to be, like, alluded to and mm-hmm. off camera and come. No, they couldn't. Like, if you, if you get a chance and you can find this movie somewhere and you watch it, you're going to sit there and go, holy fuck, they would never make this movie now. Like, just, right. they couldn't. You just couldn't. But uh, Timothy Hutton, Ronnie Cox, Sean Penn, Tom Cruise, Brendan Ward, Giancarlo Esposito, Billy Van Zant. I mean, these are all people who are fairly, you know, big names now or have gone on to a fair amount of success. That so you, that you look at now and you're like, holy Christ, these people are like, you know, nine and 11 and 13 in this movie. Can I, if I can bring this around to the, to the yeah, yeah. derpy Jamie funny for a brief second, cause sure. you started explaining this movie and my brain is going, that's not what this movie is. Holy shit. How did I not know? I always thought this movie was about like tap dancing. No. It's like Gregory Hines and shit. <laughs> my God. I was, I had to go look it up. <laughs> That movie was Tap. Yeah, yeah. Gregory Hines and Sammy Davis Jr. This had the (laughs) at the end. (laughs) Taps. Totally different. Yeah, very, very different. Because I looked at the box cover. I'm like, this is a much darker movie than I thought. Because Tap is, it's a tap dancing movie. (laughs) 
<laughs> military yeah, people. No, complete. <sighs> um, last, I'm going to mention, I just, it's another movie we sort of mentioned that yeah. I, doesn't really fit into the topic, but I watched it less than a year ago just to sort of just absorb it. Cause I think when I first saw this, this, uh, this movie, I, kind of went in not being a, a grown-up movie watcher. And everybody talks about how the director of this film is one of the greatest visionaries of all directing, and this movie is sort of an outlier, and there are people who love it and people who hate it, and it's very much an art movie. And I was like, you know what? Let me just re-watch it once and see. And I watched Eyes Wide Shut. Uh, he plays a doctor, but who gives a shit about his job in this? Um, again, I watched about a year ago, and I can say firmly all confidence in the world that this movie is just art house bullshit. I'm not saying it's a dog shit movie. It's kind of cool, but cause you can watch it for its Stanley Kubrickness. Cause it's, it's just pouring with Stanley Kubrickness. Oh yeah. Uh, but by and large it isn't, uh, it's about a guy getting older and the dissatisfaction with his wife and his sexual awakening. and But then it gets into like... Let's, even, let me point out real quick here. I would just yeah, like to it. very subtly mention with a fucking sledgehammer okay. that this is a dude who is disappointed with his sex life with Nicole fucking Kidman. Yep. Continue. Yep. One thousand percent. I mean, soon to be divorced actual wife, Nicole Kidman. Continue. Yep. And I mean, it. it is there is something cool about the Secret Society stuff. I'm a big fan of, of anything having to do with Secret Society. Look, I really I like the movie Skull. The Skulls don't. It's just you can tell that this is clearly at the end of Kubrick's run. Um, and supposedly he was a monster on this set, making people redo things left and right. They did multiple cuts of the movie. Well, it's, but that's, that's Kubrick. Though. That's Kubrick. It's not that specific movie. No, no. Uh, right. This is Kubrick at his worst though. Cause this was also him at the end. Oh yeah. Um, cause this came out, I think it was released after his passing, but he did. If I remember the story, I'm not, I'm not going to go look up all the wiki to, to make this go longer than it needs to. Um, if I remember, he saw the final cut of the film before he passed, but they still did some tweaking before it went to film. Yeah. It, I, I recommend watching it, especially if you're an arthouse movie fan. I am most definitely not. It takes a, it takes a really good arthouse film to get me. Um, it's visually very pretty, but as far as plot goes, yeah. So Kubrick passed six days after showing the final cut to Warner Brothers? There you go. Okay. I knew there was a relation. Uh, but then in order to get an R rating, they there were scenes that were digitally altered after his passing in post-production. Um, and it's kind of obvious which scenes. Uh, it's in the the big orgy scenes. Uh, there, there are quite a few scenes where... You're you're thinking to yourself, wow, it's really convenient that those two people in tuxedos are standing right there. <laughs> you know, it's like Austin seeing, Powers. We're just seeing the head of the horse and the tail of the horse. We're not seeing the saddle of the horse at all. And mm -hmm. it's just, yeah, there was a lot of that. 
Every time I see this movie or see the poster for this movie or the title of this movie, I keep thinking back to that fucking Bill Burr stand-up routine. There was one, there was one, uh, Netflix special that he did where he was talking about, uh, how he hates like self-service, uh, stuff. Like even when you go to like a Burger King, you know, Mm -hmm. they just give you like the empty cup and you have to go fill it over there, but I'm paying you for it. I'm not paying you money for me to do your job, to make your boss save more money that makes his boss make more money that, you know, I'm going (laughs) to like, he's going to climb over the counter and work his way up the boss food chain till he gets to that fucking orgy eyes wide shut party where all the (laughs) McDonald's fucking conglomerate CEO guys are hanging around sniffing Coke off tables and shit. It's just hysterical that he talks about, you know, the CEOs having the big eyes wide shut party. Right. Uh, Because you say that and everybody knows exactly what the fuck you're talking about. Yeah. Even in this, like, every one of the movies we've listed are in some way part of the social zitgeist, if I may use that word. Yeah, yeah. Um, just as a quick aside, I was looking at some of the trivia. Vanessa, what was her name? Holy shit, I already lost it. I had it just a second ago. Vanessa Shaw, one scene as Domino, who is the prostitute in the movie, I was supposed to only take two weeks of shooting. One scene was gonna take two weeks. But because it was Kubrick... She was in the production for two months. Oh, sure. One scene. So, what about you folks out there? Do you have a favorite Tom Cruise job? What jobs has Tom Cruise done for you? What's your e-meter say? Are you clear? You can go where, Rob, and tell everybody about us. Uh, The best place to go to would be to somethingcast.com. You have all of our... uh, Buttons and widgets and doodads. Thingamabobs, uh, I got 20. Yeah, exactly. For you to contact us through the Twitter and the Facebook and the Twitch. Yeah, you got me all combobulated. <laughs> anyway, yes, you can go to somethingcast.com. And then if you're feeling saucy, if you're feeling just a little bit of fun, you can go to shop.somethingcast.com and you can see all of the wonderful things that Rob and I are doing to stop ourselves from going crazy in isolation. Yes. Um, one last thing to mention. What are the days for live stream for the cure? Oh, May 27th through the 31st. Uh, we are part of live stream for the cure Four. uh, the Epic film guys put this together. It is going to be live streamed. It is 48 hours of podcasting spread out over four days. Uh, some great, great podcast shows being part of it. We are, working on raising money for the uh, Cancer Research Institute. Uh, Our goal this year is $10,000. If you specifically want to look for us, we will be on at 8 p.m. on May 28th. But I encourage you, if you're working from home, if you happen to be collecting that unemployment check, if you're just chilling out on your days off and you're looking for something to do, uh, go to livestreamforthecure.com. Save the website, throw it on in the background, let it run as background noise, tune in when you can, but definitely listen. The website is up now if you want to make donations, uh, but definitely check it out. Uh, It is a great cause being done by great people. We are honored to be a part of it again. This is our second year doing it. This is the fourth year that the the group has been doing it. Uh, We are going to have 
some pretty cool giveaways to the top donators during our hour-long segment. So, we're going to have some glassware from me and Scratch the Surface. We're going to have some vinyl stuff from uh, Really Shameless Vinyl and James Hatton. And uh, I actually have an iron or two in the fire for uh, some other stuff that I'm trying to line up to get done. So uh, hopefully watch this space or listen to this space and hopefully we'll have some cool stuff that we can uh, talk about later on. And do not go away after we end this show in just a few seconds because there is episode three coming at you. Oh, episode three of DEM. Very nice. DEM. I said DEA. DEM. But I said it over you so you could just completely completely let it go. Damn a professional. Kubrick would make us do this another 127 times. And we shall after we say goodbye to everybody. So with that, I'm James Hatton. I'm Podcast Rob. See you guys next time. Later.